Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Two questions for you today. How do you find time to travel when you're working a full-time job? How do you squeeze it all in? How can you really get around and see the things you want to see? Got some advice coming your way on that topic today, plus cheap flights. Who doesn't love a good cheap flight deal? How do you find them? What are the latest and greatest strategies? You'll find out next. Let's get into it right now. Buckle up. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time with me, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. If you're new to the listening caravan here, welcome. And if you've been around for a while, thank you so much for, uh, for being part of the community. You're joining many thousands of people from around the world, which always gives me goosebumps when I think about it as I sit here and chat with you. I'm literally, I'm getting the goosebumps right up my back right now. I'm not kidding. I love getting on this mic and sharing some time with you. And I so appreciate your time. And I want to thank everybody who's taken the time to write me recently. My email address, jason at zero to travel.com. I got a lot of great feedback from the last episode with Sophia and Teague, all about their transition to travel. If you haven't heard it, check it out. It took place over a year. It took over a year to make the episode because I interviewed them right before they left their jobs. And then after they'd been around the world for a year, I loved it. And you all loved it apparently because I got just so much great feedback on the episode. I'm going to give a quick shout out to a few people who took the time to write. Uh, Ryan said, Hey, Jason, I just got li- done listening to your podcast with Teague and Sophia. First, I want to say what a great idea for an episode. I really appreciate the time you had to wait, obviously, in order to bring that to us. He asked, did you ever think that the follow-up episode might take a less than ideal turn? Um, I did. I was fully intending on publishing that episode no matter what, whether they came back and they were miserable after their travels or they were happy. And you know, you'll have to listen to it if you want to find out their thoughts on on their trip. 
but it's just a really cool audio snapshot from their time before going on the road and after. And if you haven't heard it, I think you'll dig it. Darren and Sasha wrote, they said, uh, we truly enjoyed your last episode with Sophie and Teague and hope to hear more stories like theirs. Any and all advice is much appreciated and welcomed. Thank you. And I have to let you know, I do have another episode like this coming up and planning more. So if you are somebody who's going through the transition to travel and you want to get on the show, potentially, go to zerototravel.com slash transition, and that'll take you to a page where you can learn about a really cool thing I have coming out to help people in the transitional phase. And also, we can start a dialogue and maybe see if uh, it makes sense to bring you on the show to share your story with the community. Uh, Last quick shout out. Uh, Hey, Jason, thank you so much. This is absolutely amazing. I've been thinking uh, about a similar adventure as well. And you and Sophia and Teague just gave me another motivation. That was from Iva. So thanks again. And there were a bunch of other emails that have come that I just haven't had a chance to answer everybody yet. So if you're listening, just know, I apologize. My inbox is getting cray cray, but uh, I will get back to you at some point, or I'm just letting you know, at least I've read your emails. And I thank you so much for taking the time to reach out. And today's episode we're talking about cheap flights and who doesn't love cheap flights. As I mentioned at the top, also figuring out how to travel when you have a full-time job. And if you're nomadic or whatever right now, you know, you might be working full-time some other time, maybe when you come back from your trip or maybe you're on a year long trip and then you're going to come back and work. So how can you attain some of your travel goals while you're working full-time? It's a topic that comes up in this interview as well as a whole bunch of cheap flight strategies that we jam on and you know, really relevant to this year because things are always changing. So I think you're really going to dig this interview. Uh, one last thing before we get into it. When you travel, it's always great to connect with locals. And one of the best ways to do it, if not the best, is to speak a, a bit of the local language. I've found that it's really opened up my world here in Norway to speak some of the language. And of course, through my travels. And if you go to zero travel.com slash easy, what you're going to find is the absolute best, most enjoyable way to learn a language on the go because Pimsleur Audio Courses is now available for a very low monthly membership. So rather than having to spend you know, hundreds of dollars to get access to a bunch of audio courses to learn a language that you want to learn, you can now pay a low monthly fee and you can actually get a seven-day free trial right now if you are based in the States. Go to zerototravel.com slash easy. If you haven't heard about Pimsleur, This is the language learning method that I've been using to learn on the go for many years. And if you like listening to podcasts, that means you like soaking up knowledge on the go. I know you do. I would really encourage you to check out the uh, the Pimsleur audio courses. They're absolutely fantastic. And, you know, just try it for free and see what it's like. See if it resonates with you. And if you're tired of putting off learning a language, this is the way to get started because you start speaking right away. And most importantly, it's fun. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. And if you go through that link and you end up getting on with Pimsleur and continuing with that monthly service that they offer, which is an outstanding service, um, you'll also be supporting the show. And I thank you so much for that. Now, let's get into today's interview. And I will see you on the other side, my friend. How could you find time and money to travel when you're working full time? This is the eternal question. My guest today has a lot to share around this topic. She's a lawyer who took 20 trips 
in 12 months last year while employed full-time. She's also the author of the new book, The Affordable Flight Guide, How to Find Cheap Airline Tickets and See the World on a Budget. You can find her at jenonajetplane.com. Jen Ruiz, sorry, Ruiz, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Welcome to the Zero to Travel (laughs) podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for having me. Total podcaster failure there. I botched your last name in the intro, but... uh... (laughs) <laughs> You'd be surprised how often it happens. It's been a problem my whole life. I actually have a second last name too, which is why I keep it simple for people. Just Jen Ruiz, because um, that's hard enough as is. <laughs> no, that's great. Thanks. Sorry about that. Yeah, I would re-record, but we're going to keep it real here on the Zero to Travel podcast. <laughs> so um, no, I appreciate you reaching out and we have a ton to get into today. I mean, this is one of those things. It's like a chicken and egg thing, right? Like a lot of people that listen to this show, especially we have a lot of people that are nomadic or like working and traveling full time and all that stuff. But, you know, we haven't covered too much the topic of traveling extensively when you're working a full time job. But I wanted to go back to something that I read on your blog. You said uh, in your about on your about page, you said, I've always wanted to travel, but found excuses not to like I can't travel because I have a real job or there's no point in going so far for such a short period of time or the ever reliable I'm broke. Uh, Then one day I chucked that mentality. I realized that traveling made me happy and I wanted to prioritize it. So I I have to dig into this a little bit because the verbiage you use there, I chucked that mentality, but like that's not a small thing to just kind of chuck, right? I mean, are we literally like one day like, screw this. I'm going to start like traveling as much as possible. What was the evolution there? It was kind of a gradual evolution and then a tipping point. So I think the gradual evolution started when I took about a half dozen trips just sporadically throughout um, right after my 28th birthday. It started with a 28th birthday in Barcelona. I started getting this trend that I wanted to go somewhere for every birthday. I really enjoyed celebrating that way. I thought that was a good way to ring in a new year. And that kind of got my taste wet for traveling. And then from there, is when I went to uh, Machu Picchu, uh, and it was amazing. I actually ended up stopping by Colorado by myself on a solo trip and discovered how much I really enjoyed being in nature and just kind of getting out there. Um, so when my 29th birthday came around and kind of that sense of impending doom that you get when you're approaching that next decade, uh, especially as a female, I think is especially pronounced, um, I wanted to accomplish something. I wanted to get something personal under my belt, not just professional accomplishments. And I think that a lot of people that go to school for a long time and have these demanding jobs, they feel that way because they do feel like they've accomplished something in their life. There's no denying they have the degrees on their wall. They have a solid job. um, They have that stability, but they don't have kind of, they always have that lingering regret of maybe I should have devoted this time towards personal development, or maybe I should have devoted that time towards finding myself or building a family. There's always inevitably something that suffers unless you're one of the uh, very lucky few that manages to get it all together before 30, in which case kudos to you. Um, And what does that even mean, right? Exactly. And so I think a lot of people feel that way, that in one aspect of their life or another, that there's something that they'd like to develop. And I think inevitably that's where travel comes in because it allows you to expand your mind and open yourself to new experiences and adventures and opportunities and people. Um, So it just takes you out of your nine to five mindset that you have, your daily rut, and it puts you literally in a new place. Um, So when I started my 29th, birthday, I knew that I wanted to go out with a bang. I wanted to kind of say goodbye to 20s with uh, a big, a big celebration, um, not just the dinner party at the end of the year. So I decided 
all on my own that I was going to take the one trip a month. Um, I had just started a new job as a nonprofit attorney. Well, not just started, but a few months prior. That's what had allowed me to go to Machu Picchu in Colorado as well. Um, that gave me significantly more flexibility than I had when I was working at a private firm. Um, because private law firms in general just are a little bit more demanding in terms of your daily hourly requirement and your holidays that you're working. So I've worked before on Black Friday. You know, I haven't had those kind of um, discretional holidays that I've been given. Whereas this year, I was lucky enough to get, for instance, the day in between um, Sunday and the Tuesday that was 4th of July. So I got that Monday off and I was able to take advantage and do a six-day trip to the south of France and only take about two days of actual leave from work. Um, so I tried to take as much advantage as I could of those additional bank holidays, court holidays, so to speak, um, which are pretty sporadic throughout the year. Uh, they're, they're there and you can make long weekends out of almost anything if you take an extra day or two and go to closer locations. That's what I did with Cuba. Um, I went to Cuba just for 48 hours, essentially. It's a 40-minute flight from Miami, so it wasn't taking up a lot of my time. Yeah, I live in Naples, so yeah. that's another part of it. I drive to Miami because that's where the cheap flights are. <laughs> right, it, right on. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about cheap flights. The prioritization of travel, was that something that informed a lot of your decisions uh, around your career? Like, was the career switch because of that? Or was that just like a personal thing? And then afterwards, you kind of made it fit with like your current travel goals? Um, it was a little bit of both. I knew that I was in a career that was a different path than what I wanted. I saw people around me, especially in the legal field that were workaholics, you know, that are there every single day and that are there until 1am. And I just knew that that wasn't the, I felt like I had gone to school for so long that I had earned the right to have a life, that I wanted to have that balance. And I wanted to be able to do something else with my day besides go to work. At least now where I am, I get out at 5pm. So I have the ability to go to the gym, I have the ability to work on my blog, I have the ability to plan travel, I can do other things with my time, because it's not being sucked up by a job that's ever, you know, constant. And I think a lot of these firms, particularly, I can speak to the legal world that I know, um, they even get gyms, they get childcare centers right there, um, like in the floor below you so that you never have to leave, you know, they <laughs> you have, have showers. Leave. You could just work all the time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. And I mean, they make it sound like benefits, but for me, I saw through the veil immediately and I just saw it for what it was, which is another way to get you to spend all of your time here. And I knew that that wasn't the path that I ultimately wanted to go on because for me, being the high powered corporate New York executive wasn't the end goal. I wanted to be happy more so than rich or overly successful. And I think I've found a lot of personal accomplishments that have made me feel fulfilled with the law. I've been able to help um, senior citizens avoid foreclosure. I've been able to get all kinds of, you know, wins for justice. Um, so I feel like I've found that balance that was right for me. And I encourage others to do the same if they feel like they're in a field that maybe is very demanding and doesn't emphasize personal wellness because at the end of the day, that's very important. Well, did you have this mindset when you were going to law school or was it more like, Hey, I'm going to get into the big legal firm and like make a lot of money. And like, was it the opposite of what you're talking about now? Because I'm just curious where you were when you decided to study law in the first place. 
definitely the opposite. Um, <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I remember because I went to a school that actually focused a lot on pro bono clinics and I didn't spend any of my time doing pro bono work. I have another friend who put like hundreds of hours and I was just like, no, that's not really a good investment of my time. You know, I really want to put in somewhere that is going to get me into my professional goals. I had thought that I wanted to be when I went in, I thought I wanted to be a senator and run for office one day and do all kinds of crazy things. I applied for all kinds of prosecutor positions and it just never, and it was something that I enjoyed, but life took me a different way. And it took me in a way that I feel like I'm still getting all of the personal satisfaction that I had originally sought from the job while still being able to, to, to consider myself a lawyer, but necessarily without overburdening myself, if that makes sense. Because I think at the end of the day, I did work for a judge at a felony trial court for a year. Um, I worked on all kinds of really heavy cases. And I think if that would have been my day to day, it could have been uh, emotionally tolling and wouldn't have led me to where I am now, which is having the freedom to be you know, creative and express myself and go to different places and just be a little bit more light, if that makes sense. I mean, were the first trips that you took the trips to like Machu Picchu when you were 28 and and those trips, or did you travel a lot when you were growing up? Uh, I had traveled some, so we all have those, you know, national lampoon like family vacations (laughs) that we go on. So I had been on a few of those. Um, Somewhat. (laughs) I mean, we definitely felt like in those road trips, like we were, Um, we inevitably had something that would happen and it would be very tedious to do those long hours in the car with everybody. But, you know, I'm fond of the memories at the end of the day because they were, you know, it's just family vacations. They are what they are. They're endearingly um, weird. And then, um, but afterwards, when I started, when I actually spent a summer in Australia when I was in law school, because it was, I had just gotten kind of that itch. I'm realizing now that I'm graduating and that I wasn't I hadn't had the opportunity to study abroad or take advantage of that like other people did. Other people use their education to actually go places. I'm so busy running for student government and things of the like that I never go anywhere. So I up and went to Australia for two months. It was completely different and out of my comfort zone and something that I needed. I needed to be a 12-hour time zone away from anybody that you're talking to so that you are forced to adjust and blend in and meet new people and soak it all in, especially in a two-month period because you have to get over kind of that three-week homesickness slump um, when you realize there's no hamburgers. You just got to gotta find what you got and keep it moving. And that was great. And so Machu Picchu was another one of those trips that I took by myself. Every trip that I took by myself was more and more empowering. It made me see that I could do this and that I didn't need um, like a tour guide or anybody to take me around or lead my hand or even accompany me, that it was okay to go places by myself. Um, so I learned a lot from those early trips. Yeah. Well, I mean, what did you learn solo traveling that you don't think you would have learned otherwise? Oh my goodness. So many things. Um, so first there are a lot of uh, anxious moments when you're solo traveling for the first time. And I really sympathize with people that reach out to me and ask me for advice on these things. Um, I think for women, especially eating alone is a sore topic. I think we get nervous about whether or not people are going to judge us or whether or not, you know, we're just going to look a, a certain way or if we're going to have anything to do. So I've come to embrace my own company. I actually now relish eating alone because it's first off when you're abroad, 
one of the few places you can get guaranteed Wi-Fi is at a restaurant. So you can really sit there and catch up on all of your contacts, get you know in touch with people. You can keep yourself occupied so you're not just sitting there self-conscious, you know, are people thinking that I don't have anybody to dine with kind of thing. And then once you get over that mindset, you'd be surprised how many people approach you and want to dine with you and want to see what you're doing there. All of the waiters, everybody's been so friendly. Um, so I think that's been another thing that I learned is that people want to help. Um, I think we have a little bit of a cynical view sometimes, especially being living in big cities or, you know, being around suspicious areas. We tend to think, you know, keep our belongings safe, always walk. And I, and I'm all for safety, but I think you can be surprised at how much people will go out of their way to welcome you, to make you feel safe, to allow you to have a good experience because people do not want you to leave their country with bad memories. So I think as a solo traveler first, I have people that look at me kind of weird. They want to know, am I, am I lost? Did I lose my party? You know, did something go wrong? What's going on? And then once they hear my story, they immediately become animated and they want to step in and be part of that. I've had so many people, taxi drivers. I mean, um, I had a guide in Greece that went and took me afterwards. It was a private guy that I hired to take me around the Acropolis Museum because they don't actually have guides yet and they should work on that or audio guides or anything. So I hired her because I can't look at, you know, a 600 year old boss and not know what it's about. I feel like it takes away the experience. I've come all the way here. I want the story. I, I love audio tours too. I mean, no <laughs> surprise. I love audio, but yeah, <laughs> I just, it's good to have the content and the background and there's actually some great audio tours around Europe. But so I was really surprised that a museum of that caliber didn't have it. So I hired a private guide and afterwards, you know, she went and took me to get um, Greek food and we went, she extended the tour into the subway because she's like, Greece is a living place of art. If you look, we, we can't even dig subway lines without coming across treasures of thousands of years. And so it was really wonderful. And I feel like that's the kind, those are the kind of people that I meet along the way. And I've been surprised to learn that, that so many people will go out of their way to welcome me and, and make me have a good time. You know, you mentioned travel expanding your mind. I mean, do you think, certainly you can expand your mind in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, you can like, by reading a book and all these different things. I mean, do you think there are certain things that are unique to travel that like you can only expand your mind in those ways through travel? Uh, I think the people. And so the experiences that you get from actually meeting somebody one-on-one, because it's one thing to read a book or even connect with somebody over the computer, but it's a whole other thing to actually live in the moment with someone and experience a different culture, a different mindset that can completely take you away from everything that you've known growing up. So everything, I mean, it's, it's crazy how much we have ingrained in ourselves from the media, from our own you know, prejudices and stereotypes. And then when we step into these places, we can really appreciate something from somebody else's point of view. I'm trying to think of an example. I was really nervous going to Asia um, because I was nervous about the food that I would see. Honestly, I had seen a documentary on TV that had some frogs that had been skinned alive and were kind of in the markets still living. And to me, that sounded all horror movie like. Um, so when I went there, I was so nervous to go to the markets and actually explore around the Asian markets for fear of what I would see. And I think when you go there, you start to see and appreciate what people are living on a daily basis and stop looking at things from your lens, particularly as an American, because I think we have a very well-constructed lens, very fine-tuned. Uh, you just step out and see something different uh, for the whole world. And, and to me, it's mind-blowing to 
experience that. And I was able to actually eat food from the market and have the best time and try the weirdest things, things that were still kind of scribbling and alive. And it was amazing. It was fun. It was different. And it made me realize that sometimes you can think of something a particular way before you go there. But if you just go and actually experience it and give it a shot and are surrounded by the people there that you realize are good people, and then they're very similar to you and a lot more so than they are different. Um, And I think that's the difference with actually traveling and going somewhere rather than connecting um, over social media or reading a book or any of those other ways that we've become accustomed to. You have your own like personal fear factor going on there in this, in, in, in like those, <laughs> in those uh, markets, if you want, right? Like I'm going to taste this thing and that thing. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Um, I remember eating uh, crickets. I think it was fried crickets in Thailand once. And I was just like, I was part of this tracking group and, and we were all, I think, either coming back or leaving, uh, getting ready to leave. I can't remember. I thought everybody would try it with me, right? I bought a bag of these dragons. I was like, all right, I got 10 in here. Like, everybody try one. And like, nobody else wanted to try one. So I was like, <laughs> I had this whole bag of crickets and they tasted kind of grassy, I guess. Yeah, I've had cricket flour and in like uh, foods, and I'm not the biggest fan, Jason. I don't know. Yeah, that I was it. Eh, <laughs> you know, I, I, let's just say I haven't had them since. I want to talk to you about this this whole travel writing thing you're kind of working on and like on that path already. Let me just hear your methodology from beginning to end when you're booking a flight. How do you find the best deals? Because like I have my own methodology and I'm always curious to hear what everybody else's is. So um, what are kind of the steps you take? And, and we're talking about today when you have to pay for a flight. We're not going to talk about travel hacking today or like the credit card points and all that stuff because we've talked about that in the past. And there, I have some other shows coming out about that too. But you have a lot of other strategies in this book that aren't related to travel hacking. So when you're like, oh, I don't have enough points or I just used all my points on, on the last flight. I mean, if you're taking 20 trips a year, chances are you're going to probably use up your points at some point. So I don't know how many times I can say points in a sentence, but there you go. <laughs> when you have to pay for a flight, I want to hear what your methodology is, and then like we can get into to the best deals and stuff like that. One of the first things I do and what my favorite method is generally to let the sales come to me. So I like to sign up for flight alerts. And there's lots of different programs and, and people that do this. My personal favorite is Scott's Cheap Flights. So he sends out emails every day. I'm part of his premium list. And so I'm constantly bombarded in my inbox with, you know, Miami to anywhere or any airport to anywhere. I really don't filter it down by airport because if I can get to New York for $100 and there's a flight from New York to Japan for $300 that just happens to be on sale, I will buy those two. So I get every deal that's out there um, and I let the sales come to me. So that's one thing that's good because you can be immediately notified when there's an error fare or just any kind of price drop because the airlines are competing with each other. I think it makes a difference to be notified right away versus having to wait for the major outlets to pick it up. So I first found Scott because I was getting emails through Condé Nast Traveler and I love their email. It's great, but it's only sent out once a day. And so they don't immediately pick up on something like an error fare. And so an error fare would be, let's say that somebody at the airline is typing in the new prices for this flight and it's supposed to be $1,400, but they leave off a one and it's temporarily in the system for $400. And so you want to be made aware of when that happens immediately so that you're one of the first people to actually go and book that because the more people that know about it, the more chances the airline's going to catch on, the more people that search for it and that it'll be rectified. 
Now, with airfares, you're not always guaranteed that the airline is going to honor it. You are more likely to have it be honored if you booked it directly through the airline's website as opposed to someplace like cheapflights.com or something like that. Um, but that's one way to take advantage. It's just by being immediately notified. And that's how I got to Argentina, which is typically, even for Miami, an $800 plus round trip flight. That's the lowest I've ever seen it. Argentina is just an insanely expensive destination to reach. And I got there for $320 on an airfare that Latam had that I was able to take advantage, book directly through their website, and they honored it. So I got to Argentina in November for that price. My next tip would be to look for budget airlines. If you're not going to be you know, readily available enough, if you don't have the funds to drop right away, when something like that becomes available, because with the airfares, the key is to pounce, the next tip is to go to budget airlines. So there's a lot of new low-cost providers that are expanding their routes. Uh, Norwegian is one of my favorite. Wow Air is another. Norwegian has more amenities than Wow, and definitely the airlines vary in what they offer. But the best part about budget airlines is that you can go straight on their homepage and see deals that they have from your local airport for a couple months out. So you can see the best deals. And I know that I look often for, let's say, from Miami on the Norwegian page, and it'll have $150 flight to Stockholm, you know, uh, $100 flight to Frankfurt. Usually the airports that they frequent more than others. Um, and you may have to get creative. I actually got two Florence from Frankfurt. Um, which, cause it was just cheaper to go that way than it was to go with the Italian airlines that flew direct. And so I think being open to budget airlines and being weary about the additional costs. So, you know, bringing all of your own things and bringing your phone packed with Netflix episodes, bringing everything that you need. So you're not paying those added inflated charges once you get on board, because that's really where they try to, uh, compensate and make up that money from you is by charging you, you know, you get this ticket for a 300 round trip to Europe, but we may charge you $35 for or actually, I think, it, yeah, 35 euro, which is a little bit more than that in dollars for an airline meal uh, when you're on board, which is insane. N nobody wants to pay 35 euro, the equivalent of 40, $45 for congealed chicken um, that's been sitting there, you know, and that's pretty much what they're serving you. So I think if you can get smart about it, you can find these budget deals, you can find these air affairs and get to these places without needing the travel miles or the hacking. Cool. A couple other um, just quick things to add. My buddy and business partner, Travis, has an app called Jetto, J-E-T-T-O. And if you go to Jetto, uh, letsjetto.com, you can get the app. And that's that actually has the cheap fares that are texted right to you. So you get notifications on your phone. So that's something cool to check out. And there's a free version and a paid version. So I can add that to resource. So that's cool. And you mentioned the airfares. I know like you mentioned if they honor it, they don't have to honor it. Just to be clear, like you can buy an airfare, but then have it taken away from you, which is always a sad day. Yes. But you should be refunded. You can only try, right? Right. <laughs> Are there any other resources or um, websites that are your favorites that you want to share either budget airlines or like booking sites or anything like that? I would just like to hear your top three to five. So I love Google flights. I use it because it's so easy to navigate. I love that I can put up to five departure airports for me, particularly living in Florida. I like to look at Orlando, West Palm beach, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and I'll take the cheapest flight out of any of those locations. I'm willing to drive three hours to get to an airport. If it means that I'll be able to save money on the flight at the end of the day. 
some people spend more than that in traffic on their drive home. So I really, for me, it's no, it's a no brainer. Um, so I love that Google flights allows you to do that. And it also gives you the map feature so you can search the whole world and see, you know, if I leave from these airports on anywhere around these dates, where can I go for under $500? And Google will automatically point that out for you. Another airline I really enjoy is JetBlue. So no surprise there, JetBlue's constantly rated like number one in customer satisfaction. It was my first credit card that I got, but really I love them regardless of the miles or rewards or anything like that because they have the most legroom and coach. They constantly have sales without any miles needed. They send out if you're part of their frequent flyer club or program, they send you emails, I'd say every six weeks or so, that they'll have last minute want to get away fares. And so I was able to get with a mix of miles, but I was able to get to and from um, Miami to San Francisco round trip for $22. And a friend of mine who took the same route and booked a little bit later in the day was able to get there as well for under $200. So it's a really great airline that doesn't necessarily make you feel like you're flying budget, but has those prices and those price drops regularly that you can take advantage if you're flexible. So getting the deals to come to you, the budget airlines, is there anything else that you want to add for these types of tips, I guess, regarding uh, having to pay for flights yourself? Nobody likes to do that, by the way, but... It's not fun. I definitely agree. Um, I know firsthand, trust me, um, especially because once you get on the flight, you're thinking like I paid for this and you're if you're an economy. Yeah. Um, well, then you're like, yeah, I hope I paid experience. less than that person next to me, you know, because that's the funny thing. It's like one of the weirdest environments in that way, because where else I, I, mean, I can't think off the top of my head, like where else you could be sitting, you know, in a row with people and they're all paid different prices outside of like transportation. You know, we talk about train tickets, airlines is kind of a strange thing, right? Like if you go to, if you go to McDonald's and order the happy meal, everybody pays the same price. But if you get on the plane, <laughs> it's a totally exactly. different story. So you want to be the one sitting in the cheap seats, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that is some kind of comfort to me to know yeah. that I've paid less to be here for sure. this, you know, 10 hour torture than the rest of you. So that does make <laughs> me feel somewhat better. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned kind of like, you know, in the example of going to New York because they have the best deal, would you book on two different airlines? Because I know that can be a little risky. And I think that's something you talked about a little bit in the book is the, I guess it's non-traditional if you think about it, although I think a lot of travelers do it, but I'm not sure how many. Instead of like booking on the same airline and having that safety, you kind of take the gamble and hope that, all right, I'm going to book a different connecting flight with a different airline. You want to talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yes, I've definitely done that multiple times, especially in the Europe setting, because once you get to Europe, it's like a free for all every right. <laughs> airline. there, um, You can really get to all of the countries for cheap and it's so accessible and short flights. Um, so I almost always just if I find a flight to Europe, I'll take it. And then from there, figure out where in Europe I actually want to go. And I usually do that with a separate provider that's there and, and is European. Um, like Ryanair or EasyJet or any of those budget airlines. I got, I think, from Athens to Santorini for 26 bucks on Ryanair, um, which is cheaper than the ferry. And the ferry takes, you know, hours. And this was a 40-minute flight. So it was a no-brainer. But definitely I got there with, I think, a two-hour cushion before the connection. And that's an important thing. So I have been one of those people that has been running with my carry-on bag 
trampling people along the way, on my way, you know, desperately trying to reach a gate before it takes off because either the airport is bigger than I imagined or the flight is delayed or all kinds of things. It's, there's so many factors that go into it. I've gotten into it before with an agent who told me I was going to be able to make a connection. And I was like, I've been to Atlanta. You have to take a shuttle to the different terminals. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I really, I've been there. Um, and I think the key is to just allow yourself as much time as you can. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if something doesn't go right, it's not the end of the world. Book a separate flight. If it was that cheap of a flight in the first place where it's a 26-year-old connection, that's the pro of getting cheap flights. You can kind of keep it rolling, keep it moving. Um, but it's just important to just leave yourself enough time. Understand how big the airport is. If you have to take a shuttle. With international places, there's always a an intense deplaning procedure where you go down either sides, uh, front and back, and it's a free for all to get into the shuttle. And then once one shuttle gets full, then they bring in another, another shuttle. So you may not even be on the first shuttle to depart. And once I was on the third shuttle to depart and I had to wait for, um, help to come for the disabled, uh, passengers. So I, it took me more than a half hour just to get from the plane into the gate. Um, so you really, you have to take note of that give yourself as much time as possible i'd say anywhere three to four hours is good to be safe but you can push it with two hours just and crossing your fingers and hoping that everything goes well if you have a great deal i'm not i wouldn't pass it up because of the fear that something might go wrong i mean that's life something might go wrong at any point in time and it's something you know you're traveling it's it's it is what it is but i would definitely not let that deter you from booking because there's a lot of ways that you can save money that way because if you book on two separate airlines like if it's the same airline, they're obligated to like, and you miss a connection because of the airline and then something happened and something went wrong. It's their responsibility. But if you're on two separate airlines and it's delayed by two hours in that scenario and you miss the next flight, you're arriving at the airport and you don't have a flight, right? Right? Did that happen to you? Has that happened to um, you? Thankfully, I haven't gotten to that second leg. I've missed the initial leg. Oh, yeah. Okay. But the... But the problem and what I have found and that the part that really sucks about that is that then they cancel your return trip as well. So if you don't make that first leg, then your return trip is canceled. You can't even book another trip to get there and then have the return trip still be intact. So if you miss one part of a round trip flight, they'll usually automatically cancel your return. That's just something to keep in mind, especially when you're, let's say I was connecting from here to um, Portugal and then Portugal to Madrid and then Madrid to Portugal. So the Madrid to Portugal would be round trip. I wouldn't have that connection back if I missed the initial connection there. It's automatically canceled. I have to find another way to get back. So that's something that you have to keep in mind as well, definitely. The airlines do not have any uh, responsibility or obligation to honor each other and put you on a new flight. You know, it's definitely a risk that you take, which is why I suggest giving yourself that time cushion. Um, and just hoping for the best. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we always hope for the best when we're traveling, right? Um, skiplagged.com, which is a resource you share in the book. It's essentially a resource that gives you deals based on, like, say you wanted to go to, I'm trying to think of a city like Chicago, and you booked a flight and you lived in New York and you booked a flight from New York to LA that had a connection in Chicago, but it was cheaper than like the direct flight to Chicago. So you just get off in Chicago because you're like, well, I want to go there anyway. So I just won't take the flight the whole way. And uh, this is a website that specializes in like finding those things, but also you could find them on your own too. Right. And like, I think I've even been tempted 
in, in on just regular flights where I like didn't really have an agenda. I'm like, oh, maybe I should just get off here. Like I have everything with me and like, why don't I get off here and go to that next destination later? Like, what are the ramifications of that? What is the deal if you want to like get off <laughs> where you connect or or get a deal that has that kind of structure? And so it's fine if you do it with it structured in, right? It's okay to do layovers or people. That's how Iceland essentially got right. its tourism back. They marketed itself as the long layover on your way to. I'm Europe. talking about so you, like not when it's not when the airline doesn't know when when you're exactly. just like, hey, I'm Joe Schmo. I just I'm just feeling spontaneous today. I'm going to get off here. <laughs> Exactly. And so I think that that started maybe a few years ago where people, it just started becoming more prominent. And I don't think that it was a problem at first until the airlines caught on to what was happening. And then that's when they started to realize, okay, well, not only is this happening, but people are trying to capitalize off of it to game the system. So now they've begun uh, penalizing people. So if you do that, and let's say you miss another flight, it's possible if you have your information entered that you could lose elite status or have revocation of points or things of, of that sort. Um, because the airlines don't want that, it's kind of an underhanded method. They You're using up a seat that you're not really intending to use on that next connecting flight. Um, it's inflating prices. It's causing all kinds of problems for the airlines and other passengers. And it, it is a kind of underhanded way to, to take advantage of it and say, well, I don't really care if anybody else is going to have the ramifications of this because I'm saving $40 and I'm getting there for, you know, so... It's something that that is out there. And so I felt obligated to share it because it is it is a method that people are using and it's something that's prevalent. There's, you know, websites devoted to it and things like that. So if it's a method that you're using, I just wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it through your personal account with that airline, you know, putting in all your information because you don't want to be penalized by them in any way. Yeah, cool. Talk about the framework again that you set up because we're just transitioning a little from the cheap flights because you had this whole goal of 12 trips in 12 months and you ended up taking 20 trips. But how much did having that goal and that framework help you actually travel more? Like, Do you think having an intention behind that and a goal and a framework like that was sort of the catalyst to, to take the 20 trips in the first place? I mean, is that something you would recommend to other people? Or maybe it's, are you more motivated by goals and that worked for you? Or what are your thoughts around that? Definitely. I'm a planner um, and I'm very type A. So for me, it was fun to have the challenge and to have to somehow figure it out to overcome it. I looked at it like extreme coupon. You know, I thought, well, if people can find, you know, 20 bars of Dove soap for five cents, I can find a cheap flight for $50. Like I know I can do this. And so I enjoyed that challenge. Uh, I also thought accountability was a big factor. I went in and immediately announced it to people on my Facebook profile, on my following, things like that, so that I felt like I had to follow through. And at first, it was difficult. Uh, when I was getting my hand on things, when I was figuring out how to get these flights, when I was figuring out how to get abroad easily and, and travel around when I was there by myself, it wasn't the easiest thing. And I didn't always have everything go according to plan. Um, I lost my car rental keys and wallet in Mexico. Um, oh no. <laughs> it was a double whammy. Um, and so, and at some point you really think like, is this even worth it? Like, what am I doing this? Who am I trying to impress? Um, you know, but, um, and, and I really, I did have to have that low point there in Mexico. 
there's really nothing like a storm in Mexico to bring out low points. <laughs> but, um, but then I went to France afterwards and I had just the most amazing time. Everything I needed that France trip to be, which was just carefree and perfect and just orchestrated to the T and just everything went well. And I realized that that's life, you know, that it's going to happen one way or the other. So it helped me a lot to have the accountability to have already told people I was doing this and then to structure myself in such a way that I'm always doing something towards the next trip. So I'm either reaching out towards potential sponsorships or collaborations with my blog or I'm researching the public transportation system so that I know what line I need to take from my hotel to get here, you know, because for me, it just, especially as a solo traveler, the more information, the better. Um, it's my sense of armor, knowing that I have researched before I go there. Um, so I feel prepared. So it was good. It was time consuming, but in a good way, because I was really putting my hours into something that I enjoyed. Uh, and I think previously I had been devoting myself into a lot of other things that we do to worry ourselves and, and take our time. You know, I had been putting hours into like uh, Tinder or things like that when I would get home. And now I, now I was redirecting all of that energy into myself and into my own planning. So it helped me to have that structure. It helped me to always have another trip to look forward to. And I think maybe it became a little bit addictive, Jason, if I'm being honest. Um, so that's where like it kind of hopped up on steroids come the second half of the year. Cause I was like, well, once a month now it's like not, not close enough, you know, like I can't wait another 30 days. So, <laughs> so um, I would just go and I would find these last minute trips. Like that's how I ended up going to Cuba. It was not on my radar at all, but I ended up going over um, Labor Day weekend because I had the opportunity to go for a cheap um, and because I just thought to myself, why not? Let's go. People want to know about it. I actually hear I won't be able to go, you know, in the future. So and I don't like being told I can't go places. So for me, that was the main impetus behind it. Um, and in case I can't ever go again, let's go now. Um, so just getting those out of the way, um, the Albuquerque balloon fiesta that was a bucket list item for me i always wanted to do that but i thought it was going to be years down the road when i could afford it and do all of that um and then out of nowhere i have a friend who hits me up in june that she's getting married in albuquerque the weekend of the balloon fiesta and i just thought you know it's like there the go. sky's open right. and the music starts <laughs> well <laughs> so, that kind of thing um, happens when you prioritize travel and then th these opportunities open up and you see those opportunities because you're like hyper aware of it because you're prioritizing it that there's a magic to that you know for people that work full-time i think one of the big questions of course is going to be money because you know, whereas the nomad, like you can give up your apartment and then, you know, you could take what you were spending in your apartment and apply that to like your trip or whatever. But if you're working full time and living somewhere, the travel is going to be like an additional expense rather than what I call substitution costs, which are like things you'd be paying whether you were home or away. So food can fall into that category because when you're traveling, like if you were home, you'd have to go to the grocery store. If you take your money on the road, you could go to the grocery store there or you can eat out or whatever. So you're not really losing there. But like as far as being able to afford the other expenses outside of uh, the flights, what were some of, some of your tips there to adjusting to this year of like, you know, extreme travel while you were, you know, still working and living the traditional life? 
It was not easy uh, to make the money stretch at all. So one of the first things I had to do was get an additional source of income. I actually started teaching English online every single morning before work. Um, so every single morning I would teach, um, and I still do to this day, on weekends as well. So every day that I'm not traveling, I am awake teaching because it's a lot of trips that I'm funding. If I was only going on a couple of trips, maybe I would cut it back a Is little bit. Is there a but website very- that you use, like a particular Yes, uh, it's through VIP Kid. Um, so they are fully online. They're based out of Beijing. They're actually among Forbes' top remote companies to work for. Um, they're just they're, the application process is strict, but once you get in, it's pretty flexible. But they want to weed out the people that they you know don't know if they're going to really commit to it or be serious about the the job. So it's tough to get in. You have to go through a mock course, um, two interviews, things like that. And you have to actually have your classroom prepared. Um, if you guys would see behind me, I'm, you're facing a certain way so you don't see my little classroom decals on the other wall. Um, but the only requirement is that you have a degree and an American accent. And that's it. And so I didn't have any teaching experience necessarily before I started with them. I had some, uh, I emphasized some work that I had done with children volunteering um, at an equestrian center that I worked at, that I volunteered at. But I never actually had any certifications, teaching English as a foreign language, anything like that. But I had a law degree, and I think that that helped make up for that difference. And then I just took the interview really seriously. And I think in general, theirs is a culture that values when you do that and will really place emphasis on that. So I took it seriously, and I got the job. And so now at this point, I've taught more than a thousand classes with them. And that's helped bring me in steady revenue every month to the tune of about $800 on average. So step one, get an additional source of income. Yes. (laughs) right. That was the big thing. I think it's important. And I would love to say that, you know, you're able to do all of this, but it's, and if your job is one that's higher paying, then you might not need to do that. But I particularly, I work for a nonprofit. I know a lot of people are already struggling paycheck to paycheck with where they're at. So maybe it's not feasible to stretch their paycheck as is, and you need to find creative ways to make extra income. So that was mine. Um, but I actually have a chapter at the end of my book with about 20 or so odd ideas for side hustles. So there's lots of different ways that you can make money. Um, if you just have anything that you're even semi good at or produce or make or anything like that, you can try to market it into something that brings you residual income. What about the time? So we got the money and the time. Like, let's talk about how you stretch your time. Like, I don't know how much vacation time you got. I mean, a typical American gets pretty pathetic amounts of vacation time. So, uh, you know, zero to two weeks would be probably the maximum. Maybe three weeks if you're lucky. I worked for a company once that like, you got zero the first year, I think. And then you got 10 days. And then if you worked there 10 years, you got... 15 days. <laughs> it's like, wow, what a great way to live. <laughs> yes, that's true. Occasionally with seniority, you'll get the bump. But on average, most Americans get 10 vacation days a year. I'm actually in the process of researching this for my next book, which is actually about how to travel on employ full time, um, which I want to offer. But it's been and we're actually called the no vacation nation. Um, sadly, it's, it is that bad. We are just so dismal compared to everybody else and their averages. If you see us on a chart, Expedia did a whole study about this. I mean, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's really bad how we are in comparison to how much time other people get. So we do not get a lot of time off. I recognize that. And that's where I think holidays and naturally pairing it with long weekends or things of the sort, 
are your first stop. That's where you need to start planning. So plan out for the whole year. What days do you automatically have a Monday or Friday off? Because even with three days, you'd be surprised how much you can fit in. Um, If you keep it, I like to employ the rule of proximity is one of my things. So if you keep it somewhere that's not too far, so from anywhere, I'd say of the south of U.S. and the eastern seaboard, you can really reach the Caribbean within three to four hours. Even on from New York, you can reach the Caribbean in three to four hours. Anywhere in um, the west coast, I would say that you could do, sometimes you can do Asia, but that takes a little bit longer, but you can maybe go there overnight. Or you can go to Mexico, Central America, South America, places like that. Same thing from Denver or any one of these other places. Um, so pick somewhere that's not going to take you too long to get there. Fly overnight if you can so that you're transporting yourself at a time when you would kind of have dead time there anyway. Um, see if you can um, expand your time at all, either adding on a day or two to the tail end of a weekend. Uh, and then from there, fitting in as much as you can. I think it helps a lot. And that's where I know people don't like to plan. I know people look at me sometimes like I'm crazy with how regimented I am. They're like, you're on vacation. The whole point is to let loose. And I'm like, but if you don't plan, then you're spending the three days that you have there waiting for three hours to get into like the Anne Frank house in, in the Netherlands, you know, which, whereas if you have your ticket that you already bought months ahead of time, you can just cruise on in through the line and that saves you so much time. So I think it sucks to plan. I know that. And I know that a lot of friends that travel with me love that I'm the planner so that they don't have to. But if you can get tickets ahead of time, you can actually avoid wait times. And I think that that's a big part of a lot of the time that we spend abroad is wait times for attractions, figuring out what you want to do, figuring out directions, figuring out how you want to get to a restaurant. If you know all of this ahead of time, you're not wasting your time when you get there sitting in the Airbnb being like, oh, where do you want to go to next? Where do you want to eat? You know, if you already and you don't have to stick to your schedule, but if you just have kind of a backup or an idea of what you want to do, you can always stray from it. But it helps you really take advantage of that time as opposed to getting there and then figuring things out when you're there and, and wasting your time that way. Yeah, that's a great point, especially for like the the big sites or attractions or cultural things you want to see or whatever they can that, you know, it's going to be crowded. So, you know how can you avoid the lines and not waste three hours of a three day weekend <laughs> Definitely. standing in line unless you want to do that. Um, but I don't think anybody wants to do that. No. Um, you know, <laughs> speaking of planning, like what's your plan about all, uh, around all this travel writing stuff you have going on? You're writing these books and everything like you have these law degrees, two law degrees. Is that right? Or, um, I've passed two bar exams. Two bar so exams. Pra- okay. I can practice in two states. What, what's going on? Are you thinking about transitioning out of a law career and moving towards travel writing and that sort of thing? Or are you you're trying to balance both worlds for a while and just feeling it out? I'm just asking because, you know, I know a lot of people out there that are considering, you know, changing jobs. So I'm just curious where you're at in that. I love writing and I have been very surprised by how by the fact that I'm published, I always thought that that was going to be an end of life goal for me. You know, like maybe when I'm 60 years old and have some memories that people want to read about, I can write a memoir and that'll be like my end book. And then I die and then life is over. Um, and so it's so (laughs) revolutionary to think that I could actually do what I want to do right now, that I don't have to wait until whenever I think that it's going to be the approved time or, you know, the best time that people think to do it. So 
what gave you that mindset shift? Like to just be like, hey, I'm just going to do this right now. Why, why should I wait? I think people really underestimate what turning 30 means for a single female (laughs) (laughs) without children. Um, And I think there's a lot of um, women out there that can sympathize with me that are professionals and that have their life together in every sense of the word, but don't have babies. And um, I mean, I have had people telling me that my eggs are going to expire and that are going poof, poof, poof. Um, They've been telling me that since I was in my early 20s. So when you're and but you can still kind of blow it off and be like, this person's crazy. I'm 22. But then when you reach 30, you're like, oh, my God, maybe everybody's right. So I think it was just that complete fear and paralysis and panic and overwhelming of everybody telling me what I should be doing and how my life should look like. And I had felt like I had worked so hard, but I was still falling short in so many ways. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't necessarily feel like I need to have a a child right now or get artificially inseminated or freeze my eggs. You'd be surprised how much of this we women have to deal with. I don't want you to cringe at any of this, but it's really, it's a real thought. Um, And these are your feelings. So it's, it's good to hear and just be honest with it, you know? It's so all-consuming. It actually costs more to freeze your eggs than it does to have a pony. And Jason, I've always wanted a pony. And and I just thought to myself, if I'm going to pay $400, $600 a month for something, like I want it to be like, I don't know, like stallion. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of the possibility that one day maybe these eggs will get fertilized, you know, if it doesn't happen on my own. So for me, it was just so much riding on this future that everybody thought I should have. I've actually had people comment on my statuses before before on, you know, on social media that I've been traveling and they're like, well, that's nice, but don't forget to settle down. And like, you know, don't forget your clock is ticking. So, and they like call that. those the travel naysayers, right? <laughs> it's like, gosh, give it a rest. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think just when I was approaching it, I just, it, it just, something clicked in me and I thought I cannot keep living like this anymore. This is so stressful that I just want to do something different and I want to do what makes me happy, period. I'm just going to devote all of my time and effort into what makes me happy as much as I possibly can in every aspect of my life. And so that started with the travel goals. um, And it's just expanded now with writing and pursuing that because I like writing. I think I can reach people through my writing. Um, This was an informational guide because honestly, at the end of the day, it's the one question people ask me the most. Everybody wants to know how I get places for cheap. Um, so I just I have to give people what they want to get them out there first. Um, but I would love to transition into actual stories um, and 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 travel writing. I took a travel writing course with uh, Don George, who's a famous travel writer, and he's worked with National Geographic and a bunch of places. And he, I read his book, and I was just so inspired by all these stories. I love the way that words can reach people. Um, so traveling has led me to have this faith in myself that I can pursue other things, that it's okay to take a risk, that it's okay to put yourself out there. It's so nerve wracking to write a book and to have everything out there open for criticism. You know, you never know what people are going to say. I'm on that page five times a day checking to see how it's going. Um, But it's exciting at the same time to push yourself and do something that you didn't know that you'd be able to do. So for me, it has just been a matter of realizing that it's okay. And that I want to do what makes me happy and that it's okay to do that. Um, now, not later, right, not when right. I retire, like, not waiting till you're <laughs> retired and 60 or whatever. And yeah, I mean, and 
since you've gone on this journey and you've started just writing about travel and what you're passionate about, what have you discovered about that that concept of just getting started now? Like, how has that changed your long term mindset? Very much so. So I think I always thought that you have to, and I don't want to sound any particular way, but I always thought you kind of have to work from the bottom and start your way up from the t- to the top. But then I just realized right away, why not start at the top? Why not take a risk and pitch yourself and put yourself out there? Um, I was lucky enough to be published by some major publications this past year, um, Matador Network, Washington Post, things like that. And it was amazing for me to see that, to see that it's okay, that you are good enough, that you have put in your work and that you can get to a point where other people will appreciate that, that you don't necessarily have to go through the trenches and, and really devalue yourself or just give away everything. Um, that it's okay to put a value on yourself, that it's okay to be confident about the skills that you have and market yourself in a different way. So, it's given me a whole other sense about me and my brand and what I can do. And it's allowed me to see that you don't need to be the only expert to be an expert. You know, you don't need to know absolutely everything to be considered a valuable resource. You just have to be knowledgeable. You have to be constantly learning and you have to be willing to share that value with others. And I think that that naturally brings you a lot of success and positivity and, and new paths. And put yourself out there and have the guts to do that in the first place, right? Which you've done. So, I mean, congratulations on uh, on everything you got going on and all the, the completing your your mission of you know exceeding your mission, I should say. Twelve trips turned into twenty, I guess. By the way, before we let you go, I guess a couple things. First, you can uh, let us know you know where we can get the book and and all that stuff. But I also want to hear your like your highlight from those twenty trips. Like, what was? What was like, uh, if you had to pick one highlight out, out of the whole thing that sort of, I don't know, summarizes the, the experience of, of taking those 20 trips for you, what would that be? Mm, that summarizes the experience or that's a highlight? Because the highlight, I always mention France, just because I think after the Mexico fiasco, it was such a relief. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think maybe that summarizes the experience. Um, I think... I think my Cuba trip summarizes the experience uh, because I didn't necessarily have it on my radar and I was nervous about going there because living in Miami, you have a lot of people that have escaped the Cuban regime. We have a very set American mindset towards Cuba and how we look at it. Um, And I was scared going there. If I'm going to be honest with you, it was my first communist country. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back. You know, people are retained on the, the island sometimes. So I was very nervous. And I think that that embodies the feeling that we have when we go anywhere new, when we put ourselves beyond our comfort zone and step into a completely different culture. Um, but then once I got there, I, I did the obligatory tourist things for a day. But then the second day I was able to get out there, I saw outdoor art galleries where they take recycled um, items and they make it into art. So I saw like tires or wrenches or things like that, that they made into gorgeous art pieces. I was able to dance on the streets. I was able to spend the day with a taxi driver that kind of took me around everywhere. Ernest Hemingway's house, you know, it was closed. We didn't actually get in. That symbolizes travel. Things aren't always going to go the way you want it to go. Um, So it was very, it just to me symbolized the year because it was something that you're fearful of going into. You come out changed um, and it makes you realize that there's 
so much more than what you originally thought. And you end up valuing that experience for the effect that it had on you. So I think that trip and those short 48 hours there and the effect that it had on me and the impact it had on me really symbolize what the power of travel and what it can do for you. Awesome. The book, The Affordable Flight Guide, where can people find it and find you if you want to drop those links one more time? And I'll put them in the show notes as well. Perfect. Uh, the guide is available on Amazon.com. It's The Affordable Flight Guide by Jen Ruiz. Don't worry about the second last name. Um, and you can find me at jenonajetplane.com. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure chatting. And I hope we can cross paths here on one of your whirlwind trips sometime soon. Thank you, Jason. I hope so, too. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. There you go. I want to thank Jen for stopping by. It was fun to jam out with her. I just love, I don't know, I love geeking out on anything travel related, whether it's cheap flights and the logistical things, or we're talking about, you know, how travel can change your mindset or how can it impact you as an individual, anything related to travel. It's an endlessly fascinating topic and always so deep. And you know, what's been great. I've been hearing from a lot of you giving me some show ideas and some episodes you want to hear, some themes you want me to cover, keep them coming. You can always get in touch. This is a two-way conversation. Get in touch anytime, jason at zerototravel.com. Or if you want to let me know what you think of the show, I love getting those on email. And even better, I love seeing those reviews. When I get those nice reviews, that really gives me warm and fuzzies. They always help get the show out to more people and inspire more people to travel. So if you've been listening to the show for a while and you want to give me a nice little gift, you want to leave a review, I always appreciate those. Don't ask for them very often, but um, you know, it's always good to throw it out. It makes my day. Let me say, it makes my day when I see them. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> before we uh, wrap up here, quick thing, two quick things, actually. I'm going to leave you with a quote. And first, before I do that, Pimsleur Audio Courses. If you want to learn a language and you want to learn it from the best language learning method around, I mean, this is the language learning method that places like the FBI and the State Department use because it flat out works. And the only way I can describe it is the hardest part of learning language for me is remembering the words, of course. And what happens is I'll learn a word and I think it's going to stick and then it doesn't. I can't explain. I don't know how they have these courses structured. I mean, you can read about it, how they have them structured and kind of like linguistically what that means or academically. But all I know is the most simplistic way I can explain it is when you start forgetting a word, they bring it back into the conversation and it allows you to build your vocabulary fast. And also you can learn on the go. And there's so many advantages to learning a language, but don't get overwhelmed because yes, it's a bucket list item for many people, but it's not about like learning a whole language necessarily, if that seems like too much. Even if you can learn to speak a little bit, when you travel, it opens up so many doors and it's just it just changes the whole experience. So if you want to learn a language and you want to be able to do it while you're doing other things through audio, like listening to podcasts, if you dig that, you're going to love the Pimsleur Audio Courses. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy is the link you want to go to. You'll have access if you're based in the States to a free seven-day trial and then they have a low monthly subscription service, low price monthly subscription service. So like a Netflix style thing. So instead of having to pay hundreds of dollars to get all the language lessons you want in whatever language you want to learn, you can now get access to all of them for one low monthly price and try it out and you can cancel anytime. So zerototravel.com slash easy. Don't put it off any longer. If you're getting ready to go on a trip, 
go learn some words, go learn some phrases, get some verbs down, get some basic sentences down and see what it does to your travel experience. You're going to have your mind blown. I guarantee it. And if you want to learn a language, just like you're like, hey, I'm going to knock this thing off my bucket list. I'm doing it. Now is the time. Zero to travel.com slash easy. And if you decide to continue on with that subscription or buy the courses or anything, you'll also be supporting this show. And I so appreciate that. So thanks to Pimsleur. I've been a big fan of theirs for years. So I was so excited to partner with them and have them supporting today's show. And I'll leave that link for you in the show notes in case you're driving or running on the treadmill or something like that. And you're like, you know what? I'm tired of putting off that language dream. I'm ready to do it. I encourage you to make this the first thing you check out. At least give it a try for free and see what you think. Okay, now a quote since we were on the subject of cheap flights and uh, you know we all like to find deals when we're traveling and all that sort of thing. I thought I would find a quote that has something with the cheap theme in it. And this quote is from Lord Byron. I don't know who Lord Byron was actually, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, it'd be funny to refer yourself as a Lord. Lord Byron said, always laugh when you can. It is cheap medicine. Amen, Lord Byron. Amen. (laughs) Have a nice day. Uh, Appreciate your time. Thanks for being a part of this community. And I will uh, chat with you soon. Take care. Have a great day. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 